Good evening. Uh, it's great to be with you uh, this evening to worship with you together. Um, it'll be helpful uh, to read from God's Word once again from the book of Haggai. Um, I've got the uh, black ESV. Uh, it's on page uh, 791. Uh, if you're using this Bible, Haggai chapter 2. I'm reading from the beginning of the chapter down to verse 9. So Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 to 9. This is the word of God. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. This is God's word. If you'll keep that open, uh, we'll be looking at that together. Uh, Before we do so, would you pray with me uh, for God's help? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have spoken. We recognize before you now, our Father, that we would be lost apart from you. We would not know you, we would not love you, but we praise you that you have spoken into our darkness, that you have been pleased to reveal your Son to us, that you have given us new hearts, that we might trust your word. And so now as we come once again to your word, we pray that you would open our eyes, that we might see wonderful things in your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Well, on our coffee table at home is a book called Interior Design Dilemmas. Uh, Flicking through it, uh, the main dilemma appears to be how to find more space in busy and messy homes. Uh, And the main answer seems to be, small is beautiful. Uh, The pages are full of pictures of uh, small plants and tiny ceramic pots and little picture frames. Uh, Lots and lots of small things that don't use up too much space. Uh, It's very minimalist. Uh, Small is beautiful. Small is very in. Um, We find uh, in the book of Haggai that God's people... 
uh, were living in a day of small things. About 16 years earlier, a handful of them had returned home from 70 years in exile. Uh, God had sent his people away for their rebellion, uh, but he had brought them back in his grace. But we find it was hardly a glorious return. God's house was in ruins. The city was rubble. uh, The glory was gone. So where was God in this carnage? Seventy years earlier, God had left the building. Such was their sin. But would he now return, now that he had brought them home again? And so God's people got straight to work on God's house, the temple, the visible stamp on the land of God's being with them. And very quickly, this remnant began to rebuild. They started clearing away the mess. They laid a new foundation for the temple. But it was hardly the return that they had hoped for. We read in Ezra that when the people saw this new foundation, some of them cried for joy. But those who had remembered the original temple in its greatness and its glory cried for sadness. This house was small. But when it came to God's house, small was not beautiful. Small, simple, struggling was not on the agenda. Where was the glory of God's presence? Where was the greatness of God's kingdom? Where was God in these small things? This was not the return they had hoped for. In fact, the whole return was a total anti-climax for the people of God. And in their pain and their disappointment, God's people gave up on the glory of God. They stopped building God's house. They left it in ruins. For about 16 years, it lay desolate. And it is into this disappointment and pain that God speaks through the prophet Haggai. Yes, they needed to face the reality in front of them. Is it not as nothing in your eyes, God asks. They needed to recognize that it didn't look good on the ground. The outward glory had gone. And yet, ultimately, Haggai's message is a message of hope, hope for their own day. We see, be strong, be strong, be strong. Work, he says. For in their work was a hidden glory, God, with them. So keep going. Trust in this glory that you can't see. But ultimately, hope for the future that God would give them the glory they longed to see on a scale that they could barely imagine. So press on, he says, hope for the glory that God will bring. It's not hard for us maybe to feel like we too are living in a day of small things as Christians in Scotland. Perhaps you are struggling for hope today. Where is God in our world. Perhaps you also share that sense that the reality on the ground for us is not glorious. Where really is God's greatness and glory in Dundee and across Scotland or the world today? Where do we look for God's glory? Well, God's word to us gives us great hope tonight in Christ, hope in his hidden glory to rest on him and work with him without outward glory or glamour, 
and hope for the day when his glory will be displayed for the world to see. This remnant felt that the glory days had come and gone. All that was behind them. But God says, no, the glory days are still to come. The glory is on the horizon. But before we get there, we see we're called first to grieve before God over faded glory. So we grieve before God over faded glory. You see, in verse 3, the word of God, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? This is now the second time uh, that God has sent Haggai with a message for his people. And Haggai gives us a timestamp for this prophecy in the seventh month. And on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. So we see this is roughly a month since the Lord first stirred up the hearts of his people to get back to work on the temple after more than a decade since they'd left it behind. So by now, maybe the natural excitement and the, the anticipation has worn off. The reality of their situation has set in. It's going to be tough. Uh, but this is also the tail end of one of the big, big festivals of the Old Testament, the Feast of Tabernacles. And this week of the year, the whole community of God's people moved out of their houses. They lived in makeshift tents. And they did it to remember how God had spectacularly saved his people in the past from being slaves in Egypt and brought them out to himself. And during that whole time, they had lived in tents. And in those days, God's people saw his glory. God came to be with them in the camp. In the middle of all of their tents, God had a tent, the tabernacle. And God's glory came down and filled it. In their tents, the remnant of this people, their minds were filled with those glory days. But then imagine stepping outside of the tent and seeing the broken ruin of the temple. It was not much more than a decaying pile of rubble. Where had the greatness, the glory gone? You can imagine their frustration their heartbreak, their, their nostalgia, perhaps, for the glory of days gone by. Their return home could not have seemed less glorious in that moment. It's as if they were doomed to live in the ruins of God's once great kingdom. It's easy, if we're Christians, perhaps today, to feel a similar way. You know, the church seems irrelevant to much of our society. Christianity is less and less at the heart of our culture, more and more on the fringes. Even to say that Jesus is the only way to God is a shameful thing. You might think back on past generations of the church with maybe a seed of regret that this isn't as good as it used to be. The glory days of the church seem to be all in the past are we living at the low ebb of history? Perhaps our minds go back even further to the days of the early church. What was life like for the very first Christians? Well, it was hard. And yet thousands were turning to Jesus. His kingdom was spreading. The glory of God seemed to be on display. That all seems 
a long way from 21st century Scotland. That sense of living in the shadow of the past can be so discouraging, so frustrating, disappointing, disheartening. Where has the glory gone? This is what that remnant felt when they looked at the crumbling ruins of the temple. And yet, surprisingly, it's God himself who calls them to face that reality. You see, he says, is it nothing? Look at it. Isn't it nothing to you? They are staring at a decaying pile of rubble. It seemed worse than maybe not as nice as the old one. It looked worse than just being a small thing. It looked like, like nothing. Why would God point that out to them? Well, for years, this returned remnant had been quite happily ignoring the shame of God's ruined house. They'd grown quite used to the temple being a ruin. Life just went on for over a decade. There was no sense that something just wasn't right in the world. But now God was calling them to see that something is wrong, to face the reality on the ground in front of them, to grieve the fact that the greatness of God's house had become seemingly nothing. And how often do we come before God heartbroken and sad that he is not glorified in our world? Our faith in God's greatness isn't based on a kind of blissful ignorance of what's going on in the here and now. He calls us to recognize the aching gap between the shame and the smallness that we see on the ground and the glory that we long to see ascribed to God? Do we long to see Christ honored? Do we long to see his kingdom growing? And the reality that we see on the ground should break our hearts. Something isn't right in the world. How often do we cry out to God for the sake of our friends who don't trust in the Lord Jesus, for our families who are not interested in the gospel message, for our colleagues who seem to take no interest in Christ. Of course, we trust that God is sovereignly in control of this whole situation, but isn't that all the more reason to pour out our hearts to him? He is the one who builds his church. He is the one who goes after the one who is lost. God is not distant from our shame in a day of small things, He knows our disappointment. He knows our sense of smallness. He knows our longing for better things. He meets us in our grief over the seemingly faded glory of his kingdom. It's not a comfortable thing to see. Of course, this grief and its sadness, it needs to be lifted by hope. And yet, if we love God, we should never get used to seeing his glory being seen to be small in the world. We are called to grieve before God over his seemingly faded glory. And yet God does not leave us disappointed. Secondly, here we see that we are called to work with God in hidden glory. We work with God in hidden glory. See in verse 4, yet now be strong, We see three times over, be strong, be strong, be strong, work. 
We might wonder perhaps if God telling them to be strong is a bit like maybe when we tell someone, be careful. If you say to someone, be careful, it doesn't necessarily make them more careful or less careful. It's a nice thing to say. It doesn't really change anything about someone being careful or not. And yet in their weakness here, God commands his people, be strong. And yet where is that strength going to come from, from their total weakness and the smallness of their situation? We find these are not empty words. They're followed with a promise. Work, for I am with you, says the Lord. I am with you. God doesn't just hope that they will find the strength that they need. He gives us all the strength we need for everything that he commands. Uh, Augustine, a Christian uh, in the 5th century, has gone down as one of the greatest Christian thinkers in history. But throughout his life, he found himself uh, often so burdened by his weakness, by a sense of, of failing, As he writes about his experience and his confessions, he repeats this prayer to God, give what you command and command what you will. Give what you command and command what you will. He was so aware of his need for God to give even what he commanded. And yet he was so confident, even in his weakness, that God would give everything he needed to carry on living and working for him. And that's what we see here. God commands his people, be strong. But he also supplies that strength they needed with his own powerful presence. Looking at the crumbling ruins before their eyes, rebuilding this temple seemed like an impossible task. How would they ever get it off the ground? And even if they did, how could it ever live up to the glory of the past? How can we keep working on such a seemingly impossible task. And the promise of God is, I am with you. To the people of Haggai's day, this seemed totally the wrong way around. Surely God would only come to be with them once they had already finished the house. But God didn't need a house, as if he needed anything. He is the one whom heaven and highest heaven cannot contain. In fact, God's being with them was the only way they could ever carry out the work. The temple had a part in his plan, but only to be a placeholder for Christ, God, with us. Their work was never so that God could be with them. It was not work to get into his good books or to fulfill some kind of need that God had. No, who could ever give a gift to God that he would be repaid? God is the giver of every good and every perfect gift. And here he says that he, the all-sufficient, all-powerful, all-providing God, had never left them. I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you. When you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. As this community thought back to the exodus, And they dreamed of the glory that they were missing in the here and now. But if they had remembered the Exodus rightly, they would in fact see that God's promises had not been flattened and wiped out along with the temple. 
God's promise to be with them was not a thing of the past. It was a reality in the present. He was still with them as he was then, as he had promised forever to be. Where these people lived at the time was simply known as the province beyond the river, out there, the back of beyond. Their home was hardly the bright center of the universe. Also, they may have thought it didn't look impressive, but God was there with them. What they didn't have was anything fancy or glamorous to show for it. God's presence didn't come to them with outward glory. It didn't come in the form of a fancy temple. No, it was hidden glory. His being with them wouldn't be seen in a glamorous building, but in the strength that they needed for their unglamorous work. And yet it was in their unglamorous hard, difficult work that God's strengthening presence is seen to be with them. His glory was hidden among his people. And that is true of us also, if we are trusting in the Lord Jesus now, that the glory of God is hidden with us in ordinary, outwardly unimpressive things. Speaking about Jesus over coffee with a co-worker, inviting your friend to church, encouraging a brother or sister who's losing heart, showing hospitality to your neighbors, serving the church body in ways that perhaps nobody notices, ordinary things that might feel like nothing, that may even feel shameful, but it is glorious because that is where God's strength is seen in ordinary Christians doing ordinary things, trusting in God's powerful presence to do the work. My spirit is with you, he says. We may think that perhaps things would have been so much easier or perhaps more impressive when Jesus was actually on earth walking with us in person. But his glory was not obvious on earth. He came to be God with us. And yet John tells us he was in the world The world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Destroy this temple, he said, and in three days I will raise it up. We understand he was speaking about the temple of his body, and they did. They crucified him. His body was torn. On the cross, the true temple, God with us, was torn down to the ground, It felt like shame. It looked like defeat. Yet it is his finished work on the cross that has changed and continues to change countless lives today. In Christ, our sins are forgiven. We are adopted as children of the living God. He has poured out his spirit and he is always with us. It is through his work that looked in the world's eyes like nothing that God is glorified and worshipped in the world today. How then can we keep on going uh, with work that looks like uh, an impossible task? How can we ever succeed with the gospel in this world? In Christ, God has provided us everything we need 
to work, to work in sharing the good news of Jesus, to work in serving one another sacrificially, to work in building up the church together. He has given us his spirit to be with us forever. But we must remember that the spirit is given by a crucified king. The hands that baptize with the spirit are nail-pierced hands. His glory was not seen by the world. Our work today is unimpressive, not because we lack anything from him. No, it only seems unglorious because the glory is hidden. As it was with Christ, so it is with us. If you are not a Christian here tonight, please don't miss this. Maybe the Christian faith doesn't look like much to you. Maybe the message of Jesus doesn't sound impressive. But please do not write Jesus off. Being a Christian doesn't look or even feel impressive. And yet it is the hidden work of the Spirit pulling back the veil so that we can see Jesus for all he truly is. Don't miss the glory, the hidden glory, because he is powerfully with all who trust in him. And so if we are trusting in him today, when we are worn out, losing heart, saddened over what seems like faded glory and an impossible task, we must come to him with our weakness and our discouragement. Because his glory, though it is hidden, is undimmed. And in our weakness, he gives us strength to press on and keep working, keep seeking his glory. It's when this returned remnant were at their lowest, feeling most empty and weak, that God called them to find strength in his presence. That is where we know his hidden glory, not in our strength, but in our absolute weakness. We know the intimacy of God's presence with us when we know we have nothing else to rest on. When we try to give and work out of our own small strength, relying on our own resources to keep going, that is when we wear out in God's work. God's work is God's work. He doesn't need a place to live. He doesn't need our gifts. He doesn't need our willpower. He gives all that we need to be co-workers with him for his glory. But finally, Haggai makes it clear that God's glory won't be hidden in this world forever. So finally, we are called to hope in God for greater glory to come. We hope in God for greater glory. And in verse 5, we read, the Lord says, fear not. But what were they afraid of? Well, partly, perhaps, that the work, the work seemed impossible. But more than that, would their work in the end really be worth it? You're looking at this small new foundation. They knew this temple was never going to match up to the original in its greatness. You might almost think of it as a kind of fear of missing out. Surely there are bigger and better projects out there for us to work on than building God's house again. Surely there are better things for us to do than this kind of unglamorous, unimpressive work. But to that fear, God says, fear not. And here's why in verse 6. But thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land, 
and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. As these people stand in the back of beyond, on the far edge of the world, God, God's people are told that God is about to shake the universe to threads on their behalf. Heaven and earth, sea and dry land and everything in between. The whole created order is about to be flipped on its head. And the glory, the beauty, the wealth, the treasures of the whole creation are about to pour into the dwelling place of God. Into this heap of ruins, God seems to say, that he himself would soon shake the wealth of the cosmos all the way down to the loose change. I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts, so that the latter glory of this house will be greater than the former glory. This promise is bigger than anything these returned exiles could possibly have imagined. It's far bigger even than this house has space for. There is clearly something bigger going on here than just the bricks and mortar of the temple But the point is this, would the work on this house be worth it in the end? A hundred times yes, says the Lord. Despite how things seemed, God was promising that the glory of the new temple would be so much greater than the old. While it looks small and unglorious, soon it will be drowned, flooded with glory. And yet, as for this house, the physical building, the glory of God never returned. And soon after the death and resurrection of Jesus, this temple once again lay in ruins. It's true that the wealth of the nations did pour into this temple project over hundreds of years in different ways, but that was only a shadow of the glory that God was promising here. And in the end, it didn't last. In the end, this temple proved to just be a matchstick model of a new creation which God promises to fill with glory. It's ironic, perhaps, that while Christians may feel discouraged on the sidelines of society, our world isn't really all that much more hopeful than we are. Lots of people feel that our world is in crisis We don't live in a time of great hope and optimism for the future. Perhaps you're sick of hearing about it, but the coronavirus is only the latest crisis that has filled our world with fear. So many people live with fear about what is coming up on the horizon. But it is into this world that the great hope of the church must shine And for now, we see maybe the world as a giant game of monopoly. Since sin entered the world, different players have divided up the board. Vast amounts of wealth changing hands over centuries. The balance of power shifts from player to player. But the whole board belongs to God. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, he says. He owns everything. And one day soon, he says, he's going to cash in. And he will pour it all, all the glory, all the treasure into his house. He will fill his house, his people, his world 
with his glory. For now, our work looks unimpressive, unglorious. God promises one day soon his glory is going to be seen in full 4K HD. Is our work worth it? God promises that in his household, in his dwelling place, his glory will be seen. Six times in this passage, God calls himself the Lord of hosts. He is the one who has all the forces and resources of the cosmos at his command. He is more than able to turn a weak and unimpressive work into the best thing this cosmos has ever seen. It may feel weak to us, and at times it may feel not even worth it. But if we are working with God in his hidden glory now, we do not need to fear missing out because his glory soon will fill his creation. Haggai says, in a little while, we don't know how long, but we are called to live in the hope of a greater glory that is coming, to live with one eye on the horizon, to watch and wait, even as we work. The glory days are still to come. The glory of God has come to us in the coming of Jesus. It's in his face that we see the glory of God by the work of the Spirit in us. But when he comes again, his glory will not be hidden It will flood our world. And in him is where all our hope lies. This remnant on the ground, they hoped for a better and greater return home. But the real return will be his return. The return of our Lord Jesus. Is your hope in Christ today for better days to come. His coming will be devastating The fabric of the cosmos will come apart in his fingertips. The writer to the Hebrews writes about this day from this prophecy in Haggai in chapter 12. This phrase, yet once more, he says, indicates the removal of the things that are shaken. Yet if we are in Christ, we don't need to fear that day. Rather, he says, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. On that day, only one kingdom will be left standing, and it will be God's kingdom. And into that kingdom with Christ, the nations will walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. If we are in Christ today, that is the day that we are working for. The day when men, women, and children, the great and the small, all who have trusted in Christ from the beginning to the end, are gathered together in the glorious presence of God. That day is written in God's calendar with a permanent marker. This is the day that we are working for. So how would you work if you knew you couldn't fail? This day is certain and it is on its way. We don't know when, but the day is closer now than it has ever been. The glory days are not in the past. They are still to come. For, he says, in that place, I will give peace. Shalom, completeness, wholeness. And as we face this task unfinished, 
as we take the gospel out into a desperate world, that is a promise worth holding on to. The glory days are still to come. So let us take heart, be strong, and work for God's coming glory. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are with us, that you sent your Son, the Lord Jesus, that in him we see your glory. We thank you for your Spirit who reveals him to us. And we pray, Father, that in our times of discouragement, in disappointment, perhaps disinterest, that you would stir up our hearts to be strong and to continue to work for your glory in this world. We thank you, Father, for the promise that one day you will reveal your glory throughout this universe. Help us to long for that day. Forgive us, Lord, when we take our eye off it, when we look to the things of this world and not to the world to come. But Lord, above all, we pray that you would fix our eyes, our hopes, our hearts on the Lord Jesus, that when we are weary, we would come to him, that when we are needy, we would come to him, that when we are guilty, we would come to him. We thank you and we praise you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.